0: Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us for the Virginia Association of School Librarians Member Spotlight Podcast. The podcast that shines the spotlight on Virginia school librarians and the amazing work being done each and every day to support student learning, literacy, and so much more. My name is Heather Murphy. I am the membership chair. And I am here with Monica Kabarkis. So thank you for joining me, Monica. Good morning. Monica joins us from Sutherland Middle School in Albemarle County and that is in the Shenandoah region. Beautiful beautiful Shenandoah in the mountains of Charlottesville. So Monica is the school librarian and media specialist at Sutherland Middle School. She uh, wears a ton of hats as many librarians do. Specifically though Monica has um, many sections and we talked a little bit about this Monica You have a crazy number of sections and a crazy daily schedule of uh, classes. Because not only do you collaborate with all content areas, you are also the teacher on record for the Student Technology Desk.
1: So in addition to my day-to-day responsibilities, I've been at Sutherland for two years now. So I am slowly building that library program um, into what I envision it to be so that it truly reflects the student population that we currently have. So while I'm working on that and building up pieces, one of the things that um, I started when I first came there was I had a small student run technology block and it was only the first block of each color day. We have two alternating color days and it was just two or three students in each class and then they asked if we could expand it. So I agreed to expand it. A lot of students were interested, is an opportunity for students to learn about coding, to learn about different technologies. Lots of students really just wanna take things apart and learn how to repair them. Um, and there there are some stipulations on that because our students can't necessarily take apart um, a device that's under warranty and work on all of the warranty pieces pieces because some of those are you know are tied to expensive dollars and parts. So there is um a piece where they can take some pieces apart, but they can't do the whole um gamut of things that our technology service person does. So that person also has an office space in the library, so we collaborate a lot. Um, we taught students how to take computers apart, how to identify the parts. We worked with micro bits, we worked with Raspberry Pi. That class um, has expanded and it kind of grew. A lot of students were very interested in it, so I had it capped at four students per block. Because now I is knew This is a
0: class that didn't exist before, so you've had to develop the curriculum yourself.
1: Yes. there. I mean, there was always a student technology help desk piece, but it wasn't a class in the formal sense. So on the student schedule, it does say mentorship. And the way I I term it is the students are receiving a mentorship um, and trying to explore that that career cluster of information technology. So I try to give them a smattering of experiences, taking apart laptops, doing some coding. Um, I work with a learning technology integrator. He's called our LTI for short. Um, And he helps me plan um, various activities. Like he spent a lot of time teaching me Raspberry Pi so that I could teach them some pieces. And he helps me troubleshoot. We also tried things um, like virtual reality. So these students have access to the technology pieces first to explore them. And I try to make them comfortable with every type of technology, in the space from a cameo to a sewing machine. We have digital sewing machines to taking apart laptops and identifying pieces because by them using the actual product, they're going to become more comfortable helping customers or student customers as they walk into the space.
0: So what is their role with student customers?
1: We talk a lot about customer service, um, making eye contact when, soft skills, like making eye contact when students come in, asking if they need help, um, and then they will ask them to identify what the issue is, they'll do a couple of troubleshooting pieces, and then they'll kind of guide them through filling out a paper um, technology help desk service ticket, but then they are responsible for logging that onto our digital system that connects to the larger um, technology in the county.
0: That's incredible. So they're learning hardware software soft skills and time management and priority customer service. Um, How do you pick the four students that are in each block.
1: So this year, we've had quite a number of students interested in it, and a lot of it has to do with scheduling. So there is no application process. Um, th- we have uh, interest meetings where we answer questions to make sure that this is the exploratory that the students are really interested in. Um, this year, it's going to shift so that it's only for eighth grade students. Um, students can return, so they've been on it one year, they can choose to be on it again. And then what we do is we kind of just look at scheduling to see what fits because some students have a schedule where like maybe there's a class that's only offered a certain time or band and it may not work as well. So we talk to them about that and loop them into
0: it. So it's treated like an elective on their schedule? Yes,
1: it's an elective.
0: Fabulous. How in the world do you juggle um, (laughs) mentoring and teaching for kids along with collaborating with classroom teachers and all of the other library duties that you are responsible for?
1: I will say that I am evolving. Um, I think the first year, it's interesting because the first year I wasn't able to get into my space in advance of me starting there because there were some renovations going on in the space. And then last summer we um, changed from Alexandria to Destiny. So I couldn't get in there to change any of the records because that whole migration was going on. So I feel like um, I'm completing my second year. Obviously, there's been some interruptions for all of us. So i um, I'm evolving trying to do pieces of the library programming and what I envision that to be and how it can better reflect our students. And then learning this piece and trying to build some of the curriculum. So the the way I survive is I collaborate. I have an instructional coach I work with. Um, We have a learning technology integrator who helps specifically with coding the technologies and, and various platforms. So I lean on people for supports because there's no way that I could do
0: this alone. But it sounds like it's the perfect um, example of collaboration, not just with classroom teachers, but with all of the specialists and the uh, and the many experiences you have in the building, putting it all together. And um, I hope to do better next year. <laughs> like, like I said, it is a new evolving piece.
1: I wasn't used to having as many sections. So I've learned a lot, you know, there's the good, the bad and the ugly and you learn a lot and I'm going to make it better for students next year.
0: Well, uh, it sounds like um, they're already clamoring to take the class, so it sounds like it's got a great, <laughs> great word on the street already. Um, not only are you doing amazing things as a librarian, a librarian, a media specialist, a technology teacher, a collaborator, but you also serve on the Virginia Association of School Librarians Board. Um, so this the reason that I wanted to talk with you so much and so much today is because you are the chairperson for the brand new committee for diversity and inclusion, but that's not how you started with, with Vassal. Can you tell us a little bit about how you uh, became a librarian and how you began your uh, relationship with, with Vassal and how that evolved as well?
1: So prior to becoming a librarian, I was an instructional coach. Um, and I had taught in English in an English classroom before, mostly middle school. My experience was almost always in um, middle school for English. And then I was working on a reading specialist degree, and I was a reading specialist and a language arts teacher. It was a half-time job for each role, and that those positions were cut. Um, and I think it was about 2008. Uh, I had just finished the reading specialist degree when that happened. Oh, no. So we were moving models in my school division from a reading specialist, a math specialist, and instructional technology personnel um, specialist to a more generalized instructional coaching model. And the idea was that you could be a generalist, and the teacher was the content expert, and then you would be the person who would be focused on strategies. Um, and different, different ways of supporting teachers. It was embedded job, pro, job um, professional development. So working in that role for five years made me realize that I liked different content areas. I liked the variety. Um, it was very different from being wed to just one content and I, I began to see myself as a collaborator and the strength in collaboration. I was also sent to three different buildings so, um, I was at middle and high and there's a lot of cross, um, what they called it was cross-pollination. It's kind of the idea that, you know, you take an idea from one school and bring it to another. Um, and I just became fascinated with that, that idea. So at the time I started thinking about exiting instructional coaching and how I could maybe continue in that line of work. So I saw becoming a librarian as something um, that was akin to that. So I looked at the classes to work on just the endorsement feature. And then there was an opportunity with Old Dominion University. And I went in and um, I was able to work through their program to get the whole master's degree. So ODU played a huge role in me, you know, fulfilling that that dream to become a librarian.
0: Wow, congratulations. You have, uh, it sounds like your your holistic perspective um, that you bring with you is just a massive asset to your students and to your school. So I know that they are thrilled that you're there. So tell us a little bit more about how you became um, um, involved with FASL, the Virginia Association of School Librarians.
1: So my first two years I was um, a co-librarian with um, my partner Erica Thorson at Albemarle High School. So we worked together, actually we worked together for three years. Um, And then I moved on to middle school. During that time, there was an opportunity that they, they were looking for more people to participate and run for the director position. So I thought, okay, I'll throw my name in there. One of the things that, that always, that I always admired from instructional coaching is I would go to math uh, PLCs, those professional learning communities, and I would always admire like how well the math teachers they just shared materials, they, they shared resources, they were such a love and I was just thinking, I need to get with a group like that. <laughs> I need to get in my content, which is now library pro- programming and be with my people and be with my brain hive. Um, Because there are moments where you really need to be with people who are just in your think tank, and then there are moments where you kind of need to look outside of your think tank. And I I always try to walk a tension between those two pieces. So I I just needed to be with my people. (laughs) So I joined Basil and threw my name in and that worked out. And that has been a great experience um, working with a dedicated group of of librarians on the board, um, people who have way more experience than I do. and just, I didn't really understand all the things that Basil could do at first. So every year that I continue to stay on with you guys, I see more and more pieces, like the legislative actions that, that they take on our behalf, um, how they always make sure that we are part of all educational dialogues. Like, we're never left out of the dialogues. You know, we're thinking about standards of quality. We're thinking about um, standards and and representation in school buildings and school divisions. So I just learned that that is a huge value to be part of it. What was your favorite part of being a regional director? Trying new things. Um, <laughs> I tried to build a little bit of fellowship and try to do some get togethers. I can't say they were a huge success um, with, with lots of people because we are spread out. And you right. know, um, the first time I planned something, I think I planned a date that coincided with some people starting their pre-service week. So there are lessons to be learned there and lessons that I can share with people, you know, as they move on to be, to becoming director. So I, I told Jesse Thompson, who is the current director of Shenandoah, like if you're looking at is building fellowship this summer, just let me know, even if it's a virtual thing, that is a piece that I um, continue to desire and would like to see built out even more.
0: Yes. Your Shenandoah region is gorgeous and beautiful, but it is also spread out. So uh, I think this, if we don't take anything away from um, this time of coronavirus and going virtual and distance learning, that is definitely something that I hope that many regions can benefit from looking ahead. In relation to your career, your time with Virginia Association of School Librarians, Vassal, has been, I don't wanna say relatively short, but it has been concentrated. You jumped right in, you jumped right into leadership and then now you are taking on a brand new role. Tell us a little bit about the Committee of, um, of Diversity and Inclusion. How did that come about? Well, as I began
1: to wrap up that role with Shenandoah, I did speak to the people on the board and, and discuss. like, I wanted to remain a part of, of the board work in some capacity. I didn't know whether that was going to be a conference planning committee um, or just you know some support in some other way. Um, there were some thoughts, maybe I would do something with technology um, because there were some new pieces developing out of the BDOE. And then the one thing that I kept discussing was um, fellowship because I had seen uh, the Virginia Library Association do something with a forum for librarians of color and that interested um, me. So I think the theme of fellowship came forward um, and I was discussing it with the president and there was, this would be something new for us to open up this, um, this work because ALA already has this work that they are doing. They have diversity, equity, and inclusion, um, and they have many different pieces of that. We haven't really embarked on that journey yet, so it just seemed like a perfect fit.
0: And it sounds like you have had a, a lot of response to the call of uh, committee members and volunteers Can you give us a little profile of the people who are serving on your committee?
1: So about 20 um, different members expressed interest. And because of varying schedules, um, we try to have a larger meeting. Not everyone was able to attend. So it's one of those pieces where committee members will move in and out. Um, But what we did was we had a larger meeting to share the framework and the overarching goals and to see um, if we could split up into three different work groups. Um, And people overlap in different work groups. Um, I see many familiar faces in in the work group meetings on Zoom. And what we did was we divided it into school library collections, the workforce and systemic structures. So what we're thinking about is how we can foster diversity and inclusion in those three areas. um, And in overall increasing our membership to reflect the diversity of, of all the schools that we serve.
0: When you talk about the visions and the goals and the uh, mission of the uh, diversity and inclusion committee can you talk a little bit about that
1: so one of our our main targets is fostering diversity and inclusion in three areas so the first area is school library school library cl- collections And some of that is ALA does a lot of work where they have kind of a clearinghouse of resources uh, through their um, committee and a lot of our ideas that go with the school library collections kind of work with that. We want to provide more resources in the form of lists if you're building your collection or toolkit um, pieces and we want to make them more visible, possibly on the VASL website so our work group is kind of centered on those ideas of how can we make sure that school library collections really reflect the student populations that they serve and what types of resources we would need to to make sure that um, all librarians had access to that. Um, The other piece is the workforce piece and that was kind of tied to the theme of trying to build opportunities for fellowship and um, connection. The Virginia Library Association has a forum for um, the librarians of color. And in looking at the things that they also provide, they have forums, um, they have a form for LGBTQIA, um, and they just have a variety of forms. So looking at the, those structures and pieces of how do we build fellowship, how do we build opportunities for feedback from members about issues that they feel that are important to them, or even issues that they would like to see us focus on more in the future. Um, and just thinking about, do people feel, represented? Do they feel that their issues have a platform for discussion? So that work group is kind of focusing on that piece. And the systemic structures is a really, it's kind of a big um, piece because librarians are change agents. They um, wear various hats in a school system. They can be on a technology committee, they could be on a committee for a variety of things. So um, helping them kind of look at what is a barrier to diversity and inclusion, Um, How can the librarian play a role in breaking down barriers? So I can give you a quick example of that. Um, For example, one of the things that I did with my co-librarian partner one year is we, having coming from the English background side, I know that there was an approved books list. Um, A lot of language arts teachers will look at that list and, you know, look at it for whole class sets. They know those resources are in the building and that will be the go-to of novels that they teach from. And we kind of I'm thinking about it in terms of like, well, we did the age of that collection. If we just looked at that list of approved books, it might be really dated. Does it really reflect all of our student um, our students in our school? So in talking with that librarian, talking with someone else who was a division leader, you know, we, we came up with something called the Teacher Summer Reading Program. And it was an opportunity for teachers, librarians across all content areas to come to look at books, to read them, to discuss them, to review them, and then to fill out the learning resources form for either school board approval or not for school board approval as a whole class text. But that is one way that we as librarians were involved in kind of breaking down a barrier that we saw and making sure that, book, that books that reflected students got into those students' hands, and that was part of their curriculum. So it's not a typical role for us, um, but something like that would be an example of, of a broader systemic structure, and that's gonna look different in, in every school division.
0: I love the fact that you mentioned change agents, because um, what you said about leading this group of teachers, both uh, you know, ELA content or not, um, having a voice from all the different areas uh, is 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 crucial to getting the buy-in and to getting the support that's needed to advocate for what's going to really end up being money to purchase all of those new books. So change agents and leadership, and uh, you're exactly right. That's what that's what librarians do. Are there areas outside of Vassal that you collaborate with, or um, you mentioned ALA? Uh, Mm -hmm. because they already have some resources and toolkits and uh, have done some work with equity and inclusion already. Um, Are there other groups that you've worked with as well?
1: I'm working with someone at um, VLA, the Virginia Library Association, looking at at their format, and I'm now a member of that group. So just kind of looking at some of the, the opportunities they have for feedback and looking for ideas for partnerships. So that's something that I have been discussing um, the other thing is I kind of look for different conferences and different places that we can learn from or that can inform our practice. So I will say um, I'm not in a partnership, but I will, I will look to different organizations. So the National Council of Teachers of English, I was able to attend their conference um, this year, and I was just blown away by the level of resources. NCTE has a number of position statements tied to diversity and inclusion in the curriculum. And I feel like they're just, they're spot on. Um, So I look at some of those things to see how can that inform some of the discussions that we have around diversity and inclusion for our organization. Um, I'm also looking at, I think, was it VCU had a teachers of color conference this year. I don't know how I missed out on that, but that's something that I would look to forward to next year, especially because that's something in my neighborhood. Um, And they're talking about educational policy and, and putting um, recruiting more teachers of color and into that discussion of education. So how can I be a part of that? So I'm just constantly looking at different groups um, and how how we can learn from one group to inform what we do in our organization.
0: So being the beneficiary of that work and then um, customizing it to our own regions, schools, etc. So thank you for doing Uh, all of that legwork and all of that research that we will all be beneficiaries of. So this has been the craziest time of year, time of our lives with coronavirus and COVID-19 taking over what what an everyday um, moment in time looks like. How have you been managing with quarantine and Uh, distance learning? How have you been um, making sure that your library program is staying at the forefront of your school community?
1: From the beginning, I offered um, a few hours for pickup of um, books shortly. I think we closed on March 13th, um, and some people still had to pick up some things from the building, so I had a, a few open hours to make sure that students could Walk off um, with some texts. I wish I had done it on March thirteenth, the day of, but we had a weird schedule that day. We had some a special event going on, so there was absolutely no turnaround time before students were dismissed. So I offered a, a small, like a three-hour window where people could pick up books and just making sure you could take whatever you needed. You didn't. There was no like limitation. Um, some people brought in younger siblings and whatever I had that could could reach their reading level and, um, and their interest, I let them take that out as well. Um, I've had a student who needed a resource to complete um, learning for the continued learning plan, um, and I knew I had a great one in my house, so I went and just mailed it to the student. Um, <laughs> I, I've continued a PLC with uh, my other uh, librarians across my division. We meet on Zoom, um, and we talk about uh, things that we can clarify, so like partnerships with the James- Jefferson Madison Regional Library. Um, and just kind of communicating to parents like they have an OverDrive selection. Um, They also have available library cards. So even if you don't have one, you can get a temporary one um, through them online and then you can access OverDrive. So just making sure that those resources were communicated to parents who were scrambling for, for more reading materials or whatever learning needs that they had.
0: There's got to be some downtime for you with all of the hats that you're wearing, with all of the evolution that you are experiencing um, and staying at the forefront of of being the change agent that uh, librarians are both in your school and in the district and in the state. There's got to be some downtime for you. So did I understand correctly that you might have adopted something very recently can you tell us a little bit about what's keeping you busy
1: (laughs) so what keeps me busy is i keep a schedule every day but then i was sitting here by myself and i've always been a dog person um and i've been without dogs for about two years now so i just you know you're on your phone looking through pet finder and (laughs) i was thinking about adopting this cat that was in the neighborhood that looked like he that he wanted a home but he didn't want us (laughs) so he kept going to the neighbor's porch so sure enough I looked through Petfinder and I was like, well, maybe these these guys. There were two little Chihuahua feist mixes, Aww. and my husband looked at them and he was like, yes. So we just filled out the application and literally, literally overnight, we got a phone call and we were the only people um, who checked out because I guess they call your vet to see, you know, how you care for your previous pets or whatever. So now we we have two Chihuahuas, uh, Lola and Rico, and they're <laughs> adorable. They're they're a bonded pair. They they're older six and seven. I think they've been together their entire lives. Um, They were surrendered and kind of bouncing around from North Carolina to Virginia. So now they are home with us and we are in love.
0: Congratulations new parents. That is so sweet. So uh, do they snuggle with you as you're reading your uh, your favorite books.
1: Oh, yes. I have the, Rico's kind of, he just jumps up on my lap. Doesn't matter where he is. He can sit on the tip of my knee and he'll fit there perfectly. <laughs> I've got my book in one hand, Rico on the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds awesome. What book are you reading? Speaking. Of? I am reading, um, was it Brown Girl Dreaming? I'm halfway through it. I actually, I know other people have read it. I actually have not read that one. Um, and I just finished, what was it? Um, Searching for Sarah Rector. So that was uh, a very interesting read. Taught me a lot of history, especially about the uh, state of Oklahoma and the various uh, nations that live there. Um, I just, a huge learning curve. There's so much rich history in there.
0: That's amazing. And I know Jacqueline Woodson, Brown Girl Dreaming's memoir, um, she's very active on social media with uh, quarantine and her masks and very fashionable as well, making sure her masks (laughs) are are really uh, coordinating with her outfits, She's she's awesome. Um, Have you thought about what life is going to look like after COVID-19 and what, you know, regular life is going to look like when you get back to your library? Will you do anything differently um, based on maybe some of the tools or techniques that we've tried to maximize during this time of distance learning? Well, one
1: thing I know I need to address is my digital platform um, because I had one or two broken links and the platform that we currently, currently use is SharePoint, so it's a little bit harder to, to manipulate than some other website platforms for me. but um, It's a steeper learning curve. So I know that when the fall hits, the first thing I need to do is collaborate with people in my school division to get my digital platform exactly where I need it to be because that is the 24-7 access point of the library. So that needs a little bit of refacing. Um, I do want to become a better advocate with school board um, information, just conveying, like, what are we doing in our library programming? I've been quite busy, as you can see, you know, with this new class and getting all those pieces. But especially as um, many school uh, school boards are facing revenue losses and the budgets are shrinking, it's been on my mind that I've got to do more advocacy with my school board and sharing how our library contributes to the literacy of the students in our building, especially with the the NAEP reading scores going down. Mm. I just feel like I need to build a bridge of communication. So that's a huge piece I want to work on. Um, going to expand public partnership, uh, trying to get some of the bookmobile services to come to our library to offer additional resources that we don't have. And I do a library of things. It's just a fun thing for middle school, uh, especially. I've looked at other models, like Canada has a library of things, and you know, there's like toolkits, like you can go and, and get garden tools. So, envisioning my library council students have helped me envision what that looks like at the middle school level. So like we have Rubik's cubes, we have books on how to do the Rubik's cube, we have um, origami kits. So they're in little Ziploc bags. So I just want to expand our library of things offerings um, because sometimes it's things like that that gets a student who isn't as much into the reading aspect of my program into the space. And once they feel welcomed in the space, then you know that is an entry point for other things.
0: Well, literacy and reading um, affects every angle. So they're going to have to read those instructions on how to do the Rubik's yes. right? Every <laughs> item in the Library of Things is a kit
1: with <laughs> one reading resource in it. There it
0: is. There it is. Well, Monica, I cannot thank you enough for uh, joining me today and being a part of this Vassal uh, Member Spotlight podcast. Thank you so much. If anyone has questions, how might they get in touch with you? All right, so if someone is looking to
1: connect with me, they can email me. Um, My email address is centralvalibrarian at gmail.com.
0: Excellent. Well, Monica, you are, I hope you take some more time with Rico and Lola, because you have, you totally deserve it. You are extremely busy and making such positive change around the state. So thank you again for joining me. And uh, we look forward to hearing wonderful things coming out of uh, the Diversity and Inclusion Committee with the Virginia Association of School Librarians. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you.